Hello, and welcome to the Homeschooling and Loving It podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, your friend at homeschool.com and homeschool mom of six. Join us as we keep it real and chat about the ups and downs of this amazing adventure we call the homeschool life. So grab a cup of your warm favorite and a comfy chair and let's get started. Hello everyone, I'm Jamie with homeschool.com and I want to welcome you to our new series entitled You Can Homeschool High School. And during this series, we'll be chatting with experienced homeschool parents who have graduated children and launched them out into this great big world. Um, But we are doing all of this just for you, our listeners, so that you can see that this is possible. And we're sharing some of the practical experiences that we've learned along the way. Plus, we want you to know that we have completely updated our high school homeschooling section on homeschool.com, and we've tried to compile as many practical tools and helpful resources as possible. And so we hope you'll give that a visit. It's right there on the homepage under getting started. But before we get started, I want to introduce our guest today, Jennifer Cook DeRosa. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be back. We always love having you with us. But as I said, Jennifer's been with us before, and we shared a great podcast um, on dual enrollment and doing starting that mid-year, I believe. That was what it was about. Yep. So Jennifer is the founder of Homeschooling for College Credit. It's an organization designed to help uh, families understand all the ins and outs of of how you can gain college credit while still in high school. Um, And her website has lots of amazing information. And Jennifer, can you give us that website URL so that we all have it? Sure. It's homeschoolingforcollegecredit.com. And if you're going there from a mobile device and you don't want to type all of that out, you can do hs4cc.com. Thank you. Thank you. So Jennifer, we've been talking about homeschooling high school this month with our listeners, and uh, we've just, I've really tried to make it my mission to encourage parents who are on the fence about homeschooling high school that they really can do it. That, you know, we're just, you and I, we're just average people. It doesn't take any special super intelligence to be able to do this. Um, Just the willingness to help our children find ways to pursue their dreams, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, my oldest is 26 now, but I very much remember that feeling of intimidation, Mm -hmm. um, especially around middle school, because we were approaching the high school years. And um, I was one of the parents that had older kids in our homeschool group at the time. And so I was very nervous um, and, and just had so many questions about homeschooling through high school. We really had even considered sending our kids to school for high school. Um, But now on the other side of it, uh, I'll fast forward and say that I've graduated three from homeschool high school, and I've got another one behind because coming up in the next couple years. And uh, it's, it's easy for us to say to parents that are kind of entering that phase, you know, you can do it, but um, truthfully, you can. And one of the ways that I've 
you know, been able to connect with other parents was through the Homeschooling for College Credit community, through social media, setting up those resources and, and those Facebook groups and all of, of those social media ways that, you know, we have at our fingertips now. And so you can connect with other parents. You don't have to have, um, you know, a big community locally. You can connect online. And, and I found that um, to be really helpful for me. And I think that our community finds that really helpful too. Um, we have, we have a lot of, of families that come into our community every day, you know, asking questions and they're, they're always, always, you know, in this, I, I feel the same exact way as, as they do. You know, I can remember it. It's the same kinds of questions. It's like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to handle high school? How are we going to handle college? What if my kids don't want to go to college? How am I going to graduate them? Where do we get a diploma? You know, how do I make a transcript? All of those same things. Um, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There, there are moms that are just a little bit farther down that road that are willing to help each other do that. So, um, that's that's part of why I started the community. I, and I know that homeschool.com is also a fantastic resource. And, you know, between these good resources, you really can get those answers to those questions that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing about that. And I know in, you know, talking about these parents who have these questions, uh, one of the questions that I've been getting a lot recently is that of, how can I do something for my student while they're in high school that maybe is a little bit different, or maybe it helps them get a jump on college credit? I know sometimes we refer to that as alternative ways to college credit, um, but I know you're you're somewhat well-versed in this area, so I wanted you to share with us um, some recommendations that you have about alternative ways to get college credit and just some of your thoughts. It's funny that we're calling, you know, college credit alternative, but I mean, as homeschoolers, we're already alternative, right? We're, we're kind of outside of the box, if you will, in terms of how our kids are getting educated. And one of the things that you may hear um, in homeschool circles is you may hear that high school and sometimes even middle school kids can earn college credit while they're in, in school um, at home. And one of the common ways that is available in many places, but not every place, is through dual enrollment, which is um, where the student still is homeschooled and the parent is still their teacher and the school administrator, but they also then can take college classes. And in doing that approach, the parent is awarding them high school credit for the class that they're taking, and then a college is awarding them college credit for the, the course that they're taking. And um, where, you know, where a a family does that kind of depends on where you live. Sometimes it's available locally. Sometimes you have to go online, but that would be more of the traditional way to earn college credit while you're homeschooling. But there are tons of alternative ways to do that as well. And um, you and I have talked about, you know, there's, there's all kinds of ways from credit by exam to non-college ways to um, earn college credit through different curriculum providers that are awarding college credit for their classes. Uh, So, I mean, I have a list that I keep on the homepage of homeschooling for college credit that lists 30 different ways that parents can explore and kind of read about the pros and the cons of all of these different ways. Um, As you know, not all college credit is created equal and not all college credit, um, 
transfers in the same way. So as you're thinking about earning college credit, you want to make sure that you're going to be able to use that when your teen goes to college. That's that's kind of the reason that most parents want to do it. They either want to save time and and you know that's that's part of it or they want to save money, which was important to us. We knew that um, we could earn college credit in high school and in my state of North Carolina, that's free to do. So it doesn't cost anything if you're in high school to earn college credit, but when you graduate, you have to pay full price. So if you have a teen that's, that's ready to do that, you know, by all means, you can get a jump on that. And for other, other parents whose teens may be academically gifted, they may be able to start earning college credit through testing out of a class. And that's something that you can do at any age. And there are ways to do that for very, very low cost as well. Um, a popular exam in the public schools is advanced placement, but one that's in the homeschools that is very popular is called CLEP, C-L-E-P. And I have also used that a lot. Um, that's a great way to test out of a subject. And one of the cool things about that is that you can use whatever curriculum you want. So if you have a preference for religious curriculum or secular curriculum, um, whatever your favorite you know, curriculum is, you can, you can still use that. And then your team can test out of their college class. So, I mean, there's just so many ways that parents should, should think about ways to bring college credit into their homeschool, wherever it makes sense, you know, within your, your budget, within your, your template of what courses you want them to take in high school. And, um, and they can begin doing that as, as soon as, as soon as you want to really. So there's really no age limit except for maybe with the dual enrollment. Yeah. I mean, there's even dual enrollment programs that don't have age restrictions. So, you know, if I were to kind of generalize and say, what age do most students take college courses if they were doing dual enrollment, it would be about 11th and 12th grade. That's when it's more common. That's when most of the schools, um, you know, are kind of, kind of expecting students to come in. However, that's not always the case in, in some of the dual enrollment programs they may have to have an eligibility test where they are passing a test and at a certain benchmark, then they're eligible. So that could be any grade or any age. And then in others, it may be a certain age as opposed to a grade. Um, So, you know, there, there really is no limitations as far as, you know, if you have a student that is interested in doing a college class, there's definitely a way to get them into a college class. Um, it may not be your local program, but if it's, if it's not your local program, it may be an online, um, it may be, you know, college through, through an online platform, but not necessarily an online college. It could, it could be the university of, you know, somewhere else and your student can do that from home. Um, there are just so many different ways for, for you to do that, that no matter what the barrier is. If it's that your student is, is younger maybe than the grade level or isn't able to pass an entrance exam, it doesn't even matter because there are going to be programs that have different admissions requirements. And so you can always get your kids into a program, always. Yeah. So I know a lot of things changed in 2020 as far as the ACT, the SAT, the CLT that's, that's kind of getting more popular right now. Um, and a lot of colleges, I know even in our local area, the colleges my 
older teenagers attend, they've even waived some of those admissions requirements. So I'm wondering, does that trickle down then as well to the dual enrollment and their admission policies? Well, in some cases, you will see an SAT or ACT or PSAT or an end of grade or or some other kind of, of test. Most of the time, if you're using a community college, which is pretty common, um, the community colleges will have their own eva- their own e- evaluation tool. Mm-hmm. Um, a very common one would be called an AccuPlacer, and that measures reading, writing, and math. Um, the thing that's a little bit different is that the exams that you mentioned are admissions exams. And so a student would take those exams with the idea of scoring high enough to gain admissions to a certain school. Mm-hmm. In the case of dual enrollment, If your teen is eligible, then they just can begin. And there are many programs that have no admissions requirements whatsoever. So a lot of times, if your student starts in a dual enrollment program, they can just continue after high school if they want to go on and finish their degree. Um, Sometimes if they stay with a community college, that guarantees them transfer into a four-year university in the same state. Um, That is a really great way to guarantee that the credits that they're earning in high school are going to perfectly transfer into their four-year degree if that's their goal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in the cases of where a student's going in through a community college, often there is no SAT or ACT at all. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts, but for For example, none of my kids took the SAT or the ACT. We had a path that worked through our community college system, and that was the doorway that they went through. And so therefore, that wasn't a requirement. But that is going to depend on where you live, and it's going to depend on what your um, college requirements are. And so testing could be required, but if you have a kid who doesn't test well, there are absolutely ways to kind of go around that and to choose other programs. That sounds great. I know in our situation, um, my set of twins, which are 19 right now, when they went to try to attempt dual enrollment, (laughs) they had not taken the SAT or the ACT. And so they did take the AccuPlacer and they actually were allowed to retake it. Um, I think they had three chances um, to take to retake portions of the AccuPlacer if they didn't do very well, um, so that was very helpful because I we do have issues with um, test taking anxiety <laughs> at our house, um, yeah. so they were so nervous and I could just tell that it was going to be a difficult day when we went. <laughs> so I was glad for that ability to retake. Well, and the thing about the the AccuPlacer and you know, this is a community college tool that that a lot of you guys will take if your student goes to community college. It's not necessarily, um, you know, it's not always going to be a predictor necessarily of of college readiness. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts there, right? You can have students who are very successful at doing the work, but they just don't test well, or they have um, some type of learning situation where they need accommodations and things like that community colleges really do a good job of meeting those accommodations for students. So if you have a student who frequently needs, you know, um, like extended testing time, things like that, the community colleges will do that. Um, One thing that the parents should know is that the AccuPlacer, it helps them assess whether or not your student is ready to take courses that would, would be worth college credit for their degree. Now, 
most students wouldn't take that test until they were high school graduates, right? So if you have a student who's finishing up 10th grade this year and they want to take college classes in 11th grade, they're going to go in and take a test that's really intended for students that are farther down the road than they are. So if you don't hit that benchmark, it doesn't mean that your kids are behind. They're just not that far ahead yet, right? And so most of the time, if if they have a requirement like you had happen with you, you can retake sections that you don't that you don't hit those benchmarks. But also you should know that if there are um, if there are requirements, like for instance, let's say your student has to hit a certain mathematics benchmark, but your teen is not, you know, has not finished algebra two, let's say, let's say they're still doing pre-algebra or even algebra one, there can be classes that they take that don't have that mathematics prerequisite. So they can take courses in other things. And then the reverse would be true also, like with English. Sometimes English composition is a requirement in order to take other courses. Mm -hmm. So they need to make sure that your kids can do 100 level English writing and reading. But if you can't hit that benchmark, then what else could you do? And so very often community colleges have career and technical education programs that are alternatives to the the curriculum courses that might have those English and math requirements. So let's say that that your student doesn't qualify to take American literature, but maybe they would qualify to take um, a ceramics course or a nurse's aid course or some other course that they may have an interest in. And it still could potentially serve as elective credit for their degree. It could serve as elective credit in your homeschool. They could maybe take foreign language through the the community college um, as well. So there's all kinds of, of other things uh, that you can do. So everything isn't um, going to rely on these, these tests. And again, not every, not every college has them. In North Carolina, as an example, if you are in 11th grade, you can just register. You don't have to pass a test. But if you're in ninth or 10th grade, you do have to pass the test. They want the younger kids to, to demonstrate readiness. But if you're in 11th or 12th grade, you can just sign up. So, um, you know, it, it really, again, I mean, I hate to kind of default to this, but it does depend on where you live and it depends on what's available to you locally. But if you have a local dual enrollment program, I mean, you can connect with the other parents that are using that program too, especially other homeschool parents. And that's how you can really find out the best way to get through these obstacles. Right. And thank you for that. Um, as you were, you were talking about that, it helped me see a little bit more clearly that even if you didn't pass like the math portion, you could take other courses and maybe finish algebra two and then try again. Uh, So yeah, I I never thought about that before. (laughs) He has not gotten, you know, through all of his maths. And so he hasn't even attempted that. So he's doing welding this semester and loves it. And so, you know, you can, you can do other things. It doesn't only have to be something for their degree or for, you know, for, for uh, a core course, it can be something that they're interested in as well. I mean, it's great to bring in the college credit, of course. And like I said, in, in our state, because it's free, I don't want to miss the opportunity to take those classes, but if it's not academics, it could be something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Super helpful. So can you tell me a little bit more about the AP and CLEP? So with the AP, you know, I, we understood that 
both of these were testing out type college credits. So with the AP, the difference between those two, AP requires a special course. Is that correct? Well, interestingly enough, the author of AP and CLEP is the same company. Okay. So the college board is the author of both of those. So you will, you will see both. If you go to the collegeboard.org website, you will see both of those exams listed. And as you browse the list of exams, you'll see that a lot of them are the same. And so a lot of the content is the same, Mm -hmm. but the way that those exams um, operate and who their target is, is different. And so there are definitely some differences between those two tests. So as an example, you could earn college credit in United States history using either one of those exams. Okay. But it's going to depend on a few things. So you don't have to use any special course for either exam. Okay. You can use your normal homeschool United States history curriculum or whatever subject, you know, you're studying for. You do not have to use um, anything special for either exam. What you do have to do is because advanced placement is um, a brand that is copyrighted, in order for you to write on your high school transcript that your teen took an AP course, it does have to be an AP course. So you can study for AP but you don't have to write AP course on their high school transcript. If you use the, the letters AP, then it does need to be approved by the college board because you're using kind of their trademark, right? And so um, the simple thing is just to, to not list that at all. So you can write honors, honors United States history. You don't have to, to list advanced placement at all. Um, but how you prepare for either of those exams is completely independent. So you would do independent study, and as the mom, you would choose the curriculum. You would decide what amount of homework your student's going to do, what amount of reading, how long the course is, whether it's one semester or a full year. All of that is up to you. And in, in my opinion, that is the best way to go into any type of test out situation is to start with the curriculum. Once they have gone a little bit into the curriculum, you as the parent will have a good idea as to how this subject is going. Are they really into it? You know, are they retaining information? Are they engaged in the content? Are they interested in it? If it's not going well, I mean, they're passing, but they're not excelling. This is not going to be the right class to test out of. Okay. You don't, you don't really have um, any, uh, I guess, test prep material or things that are going to fill in the, that, that missing bit of motivation. So no matter what curriculum you use, if they're not interested in it and motivated to try to test out, it's not going to be the subject. Just finish it out, give them high school credit and move on to the next thing. But if you start doing this, this subject and you see that they are really engaged and they are really interested in it and they are able to recall a lot of the details of the subject as you're going through, then this is a good potential class for them to try and test out of. So as they finish up their curriculum, you can then get test prep products. You can get books. There's websites, free ones, pay ones. They're, they're all over the place. Um, my favorite brand, and it's been around forever, is REA, Research Educational Administration, I think it is. Uh, that might not be right. 
but it, it goes by REA. So REA guides um, are tried and true. They've been around forever. You can get them at your library. You can buy them online, new or used. And they have, they have a, a portion that's dedicated to summarizing the important parts of the subject, kind of like Cliff's Notes would be for a book. And then they provide practice tests in the back. So that, you know, that is just one brand, but, but there are many different brands. And the CLEP prep or the AP prep would get your student then kind of tuned in and ready to take that exam. So the, the kind of the, the background of it is really all the same. The only thing that's going to be significantly different is when they go to take the exam. If they take a CLEP exam, it's going to be multiple choice. And they can do that any time in the year that your testing centers are open. And, you know, with COVID, we've, we've kind of got a wacky testing situation going on. Um, a lot of testing centers are limited hours, mm-hmm. but all of that on the aside, uh, you know, aside from of what their hours are, you can go in any time. If you want to do advanced placement testing, you have to register for that in the school year ahead of time. And so testing now will be in May. You would have had to have registered back in um, September, October, November, like right in the beginning of the fall. So when you go to take those tests, you have to have had a lot of, of um, advanced planning in mind that you were going to take an advanced placement test. And the student would do that at a high school. And they would do that with other students, like in a, in a classroom or in a gymnasium, something like that. And they would do that pen and paper. And so the CLEP exam is on a computer, multiple choice with click the mouse. The advanced placement is pencil paper in, in a classroom, and they would write their answers. So those, those are just kind of the different, you know, structures as far as, as how those break out. But really, you know, the, the way that you, you get them ready is just to match up the tests with subjects that you were going to already teach in your, in your homeschool. And you'll find that almost all of those, those exams match up with what most of us are already teaching in high school. So there's 35 different exams that they can take. And, and so there's going to be one for sure that matches up with most of your subjects. Great. And then once you take the test, and the only one I really know anything about is the CLEP test because we did, we have used that. Um, but once you take the test, then the credits are kind of like banked until you need them. Is that correct? Yeah. And so once they, once you take a test, you'll get a score and that score is if it's meeting the minimum threshold, that's considered passing. But remember that some colleges, especially more picky colleges may want to have a higher score before they award credit, or they may award more credit based on how high your score is. So the higher the score, the more credit that that you could potentially earn. And the CLEP exam and also advanced placement exam kind of work the same way as far as, as how that goes. Once you have that score that is held on an official transcript with the college board for either exam. And then when your student eventually enrolls in college, you would send a transcript from the college board and that would have all of the exams that they have passed. And um, then the college would review those and decide if they were going to give college credit and how much. Mm -hmm. What you can do as a parent is you can kind of do some, you know, background and see if some of the colleges that you're looking at award college credit 
for certain exams. Now, I wouldn't let this totally drive all of your planning decisions because colleges change their mind about things a lot. And so what maybe isn't awarded college credit this year could be awarded college credit next year. So you don't want to say, oh, we were ready for biology, but we didn't take it because, you know, the university of such and such doesn't award the credit. Really what you want to do is, is be aware of what the colleges are doing, but honestly, you know, run your own homeschool program. Don't let the policies of one college dictate how you, you run your whole homeschool. So if, if they are able, if they've studied the subject and, um, you know, if, and if you want to attempt it, my recommendation is to try because the very worst thing that can happen is that they, they don't get the college credit for it, but they were studying it anyway. And there's resources out there that you can do that, um, not advanced placement, but with CLEP, you can do that for free. There's, there's waivers right now that you can get, um, that it costs nothing to take these tests. So there's, I mean, it's all win-win, you know, there's no downside to trying. Yes, absolutely. Love that. So, okay. So we've covered, um, some course type alternative credits. We've covered the testing out. Then there was another type that we were talking about before we started recording. So can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so within maybe the past, oh, I guess almost 10 years now, there have been companies that are developing curriculum. These are not colleges, but they're developing curriculum and they are gearing it towards um, the independent learner who wants to earn college credit without being enrolled in a college. Mm-hmm. And the American Council on Education will evaluate some of these curriculum and decide if they are worth college credit. So basically what that means is that these are businesses that have built a product like Biology 101 or Intro to Psychology or you know English 101, cl- courses like this. And you pay these companies and you can take this course. The reason that this comes up in homeschool circles a lot is because a lot of these programs, number one, they advertise heavily in the homeschool community. So you're going to be familiar with some of these companies like study.com or Sophia or straighter line or sailor university, um, Alex math, you know, there's many, but these companies are not colleges, but the curriculum that they have developed can be purchased And so instead of buying a high school level biology from um, Rainbow Resource Catalog, you buy it from Straighter Line and your student does the course, they pass the midterm, the final, they do papers if that's required, and then they can get college credit. The thing to remember, though, is that because these aren't colleges, their college credit isn't the same weight as if your student were taking those courses through an actual college. And so those types of courses are not super transferable. And a lot of families will be disappointed to learn that they've taken these courses and that they can't get college credit for them. So the secret to doing that is when you are looking at those programs, and I will tell you, Sophia, as an example, over the summer, they dropped the tuition for their whole catalog. So literally you could take unlimited college courses for free. And so we have a lot of homeschool families that have lots of college credit from Sophia. So how do you use that? 
Well, those companies have on their own developed partnerships with some colleges. So they may have relationships with a dozen colleges. So if you're not particular about where your teen is going to go, or if you um, are willing to, you know, consider other schools, then you can accumulate a lot of college credit for very, very affordably using some of these partner schools. Um, Very common, very popular schools in the homeschool community that are kind of in this realm would be Charter Oak State College, Thomas Edison, Mm -hmm. State University, and Excelsior College. A lot of people call those the big three. Those three colleges are partner schools with a lot of these companies. And so they give you a regionally accredited, which is the highest level of accreditation. They give you a regionally accredited degree, and they allow you to bring in a lot of credit that you've earned this way. And so many parents are using companies like this for their curriculum provider, and then they have this college credit. And then when their student graduates high school, they enroll in a college that's a partner with one of those companies. And students can enter with 30 or 60 or even 90 college credits already done. And um, that saves enormous amounts of money in tuition, if you can believe it, you know, so you, you may have a student who, who graduates from high school and enrolls in a bachelor's degree program and only needs one year of college left, you know, and, and they may do that online. So there's, there's a lot of strategies and homeschool parents are smart, you know, and so it doesn't take very long for motivated parents um, who are resourceful to, to really, you know, look at these resources and say, you know, wait a minute, instead of using, um, an 11th grade um, literature course, let's use a college course. And it's, it's not that much more challenging, but it's something that can be really rewarding and cost-effective as well. Right. So a question, um, these partner colleges, they award the credit. Is there a way that, you know, say for example, your student graduates and they have all this credit that's been awarded through these courses, but they don't want to go to that particular college. Is it difficult to transfer from that college maybe to a local college or something along that line? See, Jamie, you got right to the heart of the question that all parents get to in the first five minutes. They, that is a great, a great question. So the term that I use for that strategy is called credit laundering, which is where a and I will, the spoiler is that it doesn't usually work. The, the idea is if my community college accepts CLEP exams, let's say, or accepts um, straighter line credit, let me just get them on the transcript. And then when they graduate high school, we'll take this transcript from the community college and we'll send it to our dream school. And unfortunately it doesn't work that way. So all, all college credit, no matter what type it is, will be reverted back to the original type that it is when your student applies. So if you are getting it on a transcript at school A, that amount of credit that was awarded is only gonna be valid at that school. When your student changes schools, if they change, then it'll go through that evaluation process again. And there are some little nuances here and there where you can squeak some credit by but for the most part, it's going to be a no. So my advice for handling that situation is to kind of be mindful of what your student's goals are. 
For instance, if your student for sure is going to get a four-year degree, you know that without a fact, they're, you haven't picked a college yet, but you know that they're getting a four-year degree. That is, is going to be really where all of the credit is going to be evaluated. So everything you do before they start that four-year degree is kind of irrelevant. I mean, it can be valuable in that it's enriching their homeschool experience. It's adding to their learning. It is, of course, valuable in that way. And it may be accepted for credit later. But having it on a, a local college transcript or in, in some other way uh, isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to make a bit of difference because it will be evaluated later. Okay. What you could do is you could look for programs that have agreements between a two-year and a four-year college. Sometimes that type of a program will allow a student to earn an associate's degree in high school or right after high school and then transfer. And so that would be a way to kind of credit launder and and to be able to roll that credit forward. But that generally um, also has limitations. So it's, I realize that, you know, most of us don't know what our ninth grader wants to do after high school. And even if they do know, they may change their mind three or four times before then. So, you know, really the best thing that you can do as a parent is to bring the college credit in where it makes sense to your homeschool plan. If they were going to study Spanish anyway, if they were going to study biology anyway, if they were going to study American literature anyway, you know, bring this college credit in and look for ways to do it cheaply so that you're not spending a lot of money. It's, it's almost always cheaper to earn college credit in high school than for sure. When they graduate high school, when you will pay full price. Um, But by doing that, you're focusing on the diploma, which is what we are going to award them for sure at the end of those four years. And then they will have credit to take with them to college, but how that all kind of plays out um, is really hard to predict until everyone is kind of settled on a path and settled on a goal and a career and a major and all of these other, these things that don't happen, you know, right away. So, so it's impossible to, you know, make that perfect plan. And believe me, I'm a planner. I know. Um, But there's a lot of good practices that you can do to assure that you're going to have a lot of credit to transfer later. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just, just thinking about a few things that you were saying there. Um, It's so tempting when you see the uh, dual enrollment, some, you know, some states cost nothing, or you see the CLEP test that is like what, you know, could be free with some of these, these options that you shared with us today. Um, And so, you know, I, I'm a parent, I have six, I have six kids that, zero price tag is so appealing (laughs) as you think about the longevity of what you could be paying for their education in the long run. Um, But I feel like I personally, and this is all I know because I can't say anybody else has done this, but I've personally kind of struggled with that. um, Oh my goodness, let's take as much of this as we can. But I've had to rein my excitement in (laughs) over that bargain education to realize that my teenager might not be ready for a ton of college classes, or, you know, maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse, so to speak, and, and trying to pile all this on them or me driving it when in reality, it should be them taking ownership of their education and 
uh, formulating in their mind and heart what they want for their future, for their life, you know. So I'm just sharing my own personal experience. (laughs) Maybe that'll help a parent out there, but I had to, I battled with that. You know, um, I think I shared with you early on that my oldest daughter did graduate from high school with an associate's degree. Um, she kind of, she had a lot of things going on that she wanted to do. And, and, uh, we, we went in that direction, but then afterwards I felt like, oh, wow, you know, I think we could have taken that a little bit easier, could have enjoyed those last few years in high school a little bit more. So my other kids, I've tried to temper, <laughs> temper that a good bit just for their own. The, well, the, and the associate's degree has a lot of prestige in the homeschool community. Mm-hmm. Lots of parents talk about it, but here's what you should know about the associate's degree. The associate's degree doesn't always mean that you're shortening the amount of time it takes them to get a bachelor's degree. And I think a lot of parents would be surprised to learn that because we think, well, if, it, if they get a two-year degree, then certainly they, they have half of a four-year degree. And that's not how it works in higher ed. And, um, you know, that's a whole different topic for a whole different day. But you have to come back. I, I will say that earning college credit, the parent can orchestrate that 100%. Um, a lot of, you know, even my own sons, you know, a lot of their classes were worth college credit. They weren't even fully aware, you know, because we were going to either try for a test or we were going to be taking a class that, that just the curriculum was that way. But that's about where the parents, you know, orchestrating kind of stops because beyond earning college credit, if you're trying to orchestrate a degree, an associate's degree for sure, but Some parents, they do have kids that get a bachelor's degree at the end of high school. That requires a high level of motivation on the student's part, not just the mom's part. So I promise you, if if knowing all of this stuff and being good at planning it and all of that was enough, all my kids would have had their degrees too, you know, uh, right at the end of high school. But it can't just be the parent. It has to be also coming from the student and Um, I think you hit on a really good point, and that is that there has to be a time when the student kind of takes over some of that, that push. Um, I call it driving my own boat, you know, who's driving the boat. And so if they're in middle school or earlier part of high school, if they're, you know, we kind of talked about like preparing for a test out, like with biology, let's say. If they're doing a curriculum that you've picked and you know that this curriculum is a solid curriculum, it's, it's going to prepare them, you know, with the good knowledge that they need, you're going to give them high school credit for it. Um, and, and that's all that amounts from it. That's okay. You know, that's, that's fine. That's what most people do in high schools. They get high school credit. But when you have that, that one or, or two classes where your student is really, really interested you know, whether it it could be literature, you know, you have someone who just reads and reads and reads and just loves literature, or maybe it's art, or maybe, you know, it's math, or maybe it's science. That's where you can say, oh, this might be something that we could do a little extra. And you can, you can do that one course, and you can do that little extra. And if your student graduates high school with one college credit, they are ahead. I mean, there is no other metric. They are ahead. 
And so you can't look at the examples where the students are truly extraordinary, you know, to get an associate's or bachelor's degree in high school. They are an outlier. They are a unicorn, right? You can't look at that as, as the norm for everybody. That is, that is an exceptional achievement, of course. And we do have families that do that, but the norm looks a lot more like a couple credits in, you know, a few different subjects. And many, many families find that if their student can earn, um, you know, 30 college credits, let's say, that's 10 courses spread out over a whole high school career. So maybe that's one course in ninth grade. Maybe that's one or two courses in 10th or 11th grade. And maybe that's three courses each semester in 12th grade. That's a much more realistic kind of approach. And um, again, it's, it's going to be what is a good fit for your family. And if you have a student that wants to go into an apprenticeship, maybe they can start their apprenticeship courses early. If they want to go into the military, maybe they can get some college credits, but they don't need the degree. If they want to, you know, take a gap year, if they want to study a foreign language, if they want to open a business, maybe they want to take online business courses. If they have a local community college where their friends are going, maybe they want to do that. Um, if there's a university in town where where all of your kids have already went, you know, and you pretty much know that this one's going to go there too, you know, you can, you can have that in mind and let that inform your decision. Um, but we all have a lot of different options in front of us and we all have different kids and we all have different amounts of resources and time and talent and all of these things. And so there is no one right way to do it. That, and that is really the takeaway. So. Absolutely. And even within your own family, I know you mentioned sometimes using the same college. We did that with, with uh, our child, number one, number two, then number three and four were twins and they went completely separate directions. And so I'm learning. I was definitely not, you know, I didn't arrive with baby number one. Um, so with each of our, our high schoolers, we've learned a little bit more and come to that realization of what you just said that it's it's each one it's it's all different and every one of them is unique and so should their high school experience be unique as well um so i appreciate that so we're gonna wrap this up i know we've kept you for a good while today do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners well i mean i would say that that there's the part, the first part is just kind of knowing what your options are. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the part where you're their guidance counselor, you know, understand what your state law requires so that you can get them through the diploma. Um, and so that it's legal and it's recognized in your state. And, and that is, you know, very important. If your state has high school graduation requirements, understanding what those are so that they've got the credits. And if you have college, um, in their future, you know, know that they can start earning college credit in high school. It's going to save you a lot of money if, if you do it. Um, but it's not the only, it's not the only path. Uh, and if you do want to learn more about earning college credit in high school, our community is nothing but volunteers. We have 42 of us that man, all of the, the, you know, the Facebook groups and the blog and all of this, um, helping parents get connected with resources 
and many brains on, you know, on these problems so that, so that there's support and resources so that you can kind of find this information out. And it's, um, it's really a good way to find out from other parents what, what is available in your area. Um, I'm not going to know that, but other people in your community are going to know that. And so, um, you know, having, having that information allows you then to decide what is going to work for your family and what isn't. And I, I mean, I think that's probably the takeaway for all of homeschooling, right. Is to just kind of be aware of all of the different things that are out there and then use what works for your family. So that, that would be my closing piece of advice. Absolutely. I agree. Um, every family looks different. Every child is unique and different, has different needs. And so, yeah, we, I think that's the fundamental thing about homeschooling is that we have that opportunity to create a unique education for every one of them. And that's, that's what excites me the most. <laughs> I love and it. You can, and you can do it, you know, mm-hmm. you can do it. Yes. Absolutely. So thank you, Jennifer, for joining us again. Well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, So I wanted to mention to our listeners that we do have a free gift for you. We want to share with you our teen homeschool planner that will uh, be a great tool for you to use in helping you organize and give that ownership of their education to your teen Um, something that I've started doing with my middle schooler this year. Um, She's kind of moving into that zone where she needs to take ownership of what she's learning and, you know, how she plans it. So we go through what she needs to do every week and she plans it out. So it's a nice tool to have. Um, I also wanted to mention that we're doing the, this series every Wednesday afternoon through the month of April. So we hope that you can join us and Here's to homeschooling with you until next time.